never a waste of time to play a game because every game that you play is building these resources. A lot of people just leave them in the game. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Grack Science Show. I'm your host, Samantha Thomas, and today we're speaking with Jane McGonigal about her new book, Super Better, and how to use games as a strategy to deal with life's challenges. Good afternoon, Jane, and welcome to the Grack Science Show. In your new book, Super Better, you write about the science of games and how we can use games to accomplish our goals or, or overcome challenges. Can you tell us a little bit about what it means to have a gameful attitude? Sure. So this is something I've actually been researching for 15 years now. Um, I started when I was a PhD student at UC Berkeley, looking at how playing games frequently and all kinds of games, not just video games, um, but also card games, board games, puzzles, how it changes the way we approach solving problems. And after you know, 15 years of research, I think the term gameful mindset is really the best way to sum the mindset that allows us to approach obstacles with creativity and determination and extra willpower and we're better able to ask for help and, and to mobilize others as our allies. And this kind of a problem-solving mindset that gives us extra optimism and resilience when things are tough, that is the gameful mindset. And there's actually substantial data behind this. You've, your super better, better model has been um, tested in a randomized controlled trial at UPenn and, and a clinical trial at Ohio State, and both, both indicated that your methods are very effective at improving um, I think it's patients' quality of life. Yeah, so well, the, the, we did two different studies. We did the randomized control study with the University of Pennsylvania, and that study found that approaching uh, everyday life with this kind of gameful mindset, um, and I, I've distilled that approach into these seven techniques that you apply in everyday life, like collecting and activating real-life power-ups and recruiting allies and tackling quests. Um, the people who did that in the Penn study for 30 days significantly reduced symptoms of depression. So they were able to eliminate six symptoms of depression on average in 30 days of playing. Mm -hmm. They had less anxiety. They had improved mood, higher quality of life, and more social support. You know, they said their friends and family seemed to understand their problems better and were able to offer more uh, practical help. And for the NIH-funded clinical trial that we ran with OSU's Medical Research Center, that was looking specifically at patients with mild to moderate traumatic brain injuries because that's actually where this the super better method, you know, this gameful mindset method really came out of my own experience with a mild traumatic brain injury. And with the OSU trial, we found that they also had less depression, less anxiety, better social support. And in comparison with the control group, they were able to recover with much fewer you know, pains and difficulties. Can you um, talk a little bit, if you're comfortable, about your own experience and how it helped you develop 
the super better method? Yeah, of course. So I was writing my first book, which was, uh, you know, kind of a big idea book, trying to change people's opinions about games being just a waste of time and trying to look for ways that games could help us solve real-world problems. And, and right in the middle of writing that book, I hit my head at home. It was like a stupid accident with a piece of heavy furniture, and I got a concussion that turned out to be pretty severe, more severe than I realized at first, and it took a year to recover. With you know, just Basically, I was concussed for a year with nausea and um, uh, headaches, migraines, vertigo, memory loss. I couldn't really concentrate on work. I was in bed for, for the first few months. Um, and, and I was trying to write this book about how games could help us solve problems and, and make us more motivated and determined and optimistic and creative and get more help from our friends and family. And, and so, uh, you know, kind of at the lowest point in that recovery when I was severely depressed, severely anxious, felt really kind of hopeless. I thought I had this like one really clear moment where I said, look, I'm writing this whole book about how games improve the psychological strengths and make us more effective problem solvers. I should really try to use that in service of my recovery. And so I just started trying to invent a game that would help me recover. And I, I called it Jane the Concussion Slayer. And <laughs> it, was, it was very simple. It was not an electronic game, it wasn't a video game, it was just a set of rules that I followed about adopt, adopting the secret identity, um, you know, becoming the slayer, and, um, tackling a quest every day, and recruiting my allies to play with me and, and battle bad guys and um, define these sort of best case scenario goals that I would go for that I called Epic Wins. And um, it, was, it, was, it was amazing how well this worked for me to kind of pull me out of the anxiety and depression and, and even the suicidal thoughts that I was having. What do you think it is about games that allowed you to do that? Is it, is it a way that the human mind is kind of set up for games? Or, or do you have a sense of why this works? Yes. It turns out that, that most video games and many other types of games, they trigger as much of an increase in dopamine and the reward pathways of the brain as injecting methamphetamines into your bloodstream. Um, so that, that feeling of that rush of energy and that kind of surge of, of, um, of I can do anything feeling, you get the same amount of dopamine flooding your brain when you play a video game. So that was, that was one of the first big neuroscience breakthroughs of gaming um, done about 20 years ago in the UK. And that helps explain one of the benefits of playing games because the more dope access to and in, in your reward pathways, the more likely you are to go for tough goals or to keep trying when things are difficult. Um, because every time that you consider a goal, your brain is making this kind of uh, cost-benefit analysis. It's trying to figure out how much work is it going to take and, and how much do I want the reward. And so all day long, you're constantly making decisions. You know, oh, am I hungry enough to get up and go get that sandwich? It's going to take a lot of energy, but I'm really hungry. And you're constantly doing this cost-benefit analysis. Um, well, it turns out the more dopamine you have, the more your brain focuses on the reward and the less it worries about the effort required. So 
you have a lot of dopamine. Your brain's like, we want this goal. We love this goal. This goal is worth everything. We're going to do it. I don't care how hard it is. I'm going to climb a mountain. I'm going to jump over a skyscraper. I'll do whatever it takes. And uh, so that helps explain, by the way, you know, when you're playing a video game, you can you can fail, you know, Candy Crush level 20 times in a row, and you still feel motivated and energized to try the 21st time. That's because every time you move a candy in that game, you're getting a hit of dopamine, and so your brain is being flooded with this neurochemical that makes you more motivated and more goal-oriented. So that alone helps explain a lot of the different benefits of gaming, including, you know, with the brain injury, with traumatic brain injuries, you see a lot of patients are are deactivated in terms of the amount of dopamine that they have in the reward pathways, and the brain literally cannot imagine anything positive. It has completely discounted the possibility of a reward. There is no reward or goal that you can present the brain of a traumatic brain injury patient that is going to feel hopeful, which is why you know one out of three people with concussion not only have depression, but actually have suicidal thoughts. It's, just, it's a brain chemistry thing. Your brain can't imagine anything good ever happening because you have no dopamine in your reward pathways. Um, and so the natural feeling is, is, is one of suicidal ideation. So that alone helps explain, you know, when we see why a game like the one I invented or other games can be so beneficial in treating depression or traumatic brain injury, um, it's as simple as the fact that you're basically juicing yourself with this amazing neurochemical, um, but you don't have to take any drugs, um, which is great. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's always a good thing. Um, so you mentioned depression and, and traumatic brain injury, but it sounds like there's many applications of this. What what sorts of um, challenges, I guess, are are particularly well-suited for the benefits of a gameful attitude? Right. So, you know, I said we've had half a million people take this method and apply it to their real-life challenges. And one of the more surprising things we found out in the first couple years was it seems to work best for the most difficult or even traumatizing challenges. (laughs) So the more serious your challenge and maybe the more powerless you personally feel – the more it seems to benefit. It's really, it's really surprising. So you know, if you're a basically happy person and you just decide you want to train for a marathon um, or you, you want to be more productive at work or you maybe you want to sleep better at night, um, but you're basically happy and healthy, um, it can benefit you, but it doesn't have that transformative impact that we see on people who are using the mindset for a challenge that they've been dealing with for four years or more, we, we found the, you know, the people who had the biggest impact have been are using the gameful mindset for a problem they've been tackling for four years or more. And really for things like depression, anxiety, chronic pain, um, injury or illness, um, social isolation, things that can be really uh, draining, exhausting, um, and things that really can be benefited by you changing your own neurochemistry through through gameplay. So um, that that was really surprising. You know, you think a game is so trivial, how it would only help with small problems. But in fact, the gameful mindset seems to work better the more extreme the challenge, even for things like, you know, recovering from grief. Um, you know, if, if you've lost somebody, um, and PTSD, um, those really kind of epic challenges. 
Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I mean, I should say, I'm sure you're wondering, why on earth would it work better for these big challenges and the little challenges? Uh, there are a couple hypotheses. One, of course, is the neurochemistry at play, you know, obviously in depression, anxiety, social isolation, um, just kind of hacking the brain to look more like the brain of somebody who is happy and motivated and has a sense of well-being. I mean, that's just a simple, it's just a matter of playing the right game at the right time. But the reason why the gameful mindset seems to be such a powerful intervention for these more serious cases is that it's just that much more different from what you would normally tackle these problems with. So yeah. you know, researchers call it a challenge versus threat mindset. Most people tackle really tough problems that they are not in control of, like an illness or injury, with a threat mindset. Um, and they focus on the things that are out of their control and they think more about the negative possible outcomes. Um, the challenge mindset is when you focus on the things that are in your control, you're constantly trying to increase what is in your control, uh, gather new resources, develop your skills, get your allies involved, and you're able to think more about possible positive outcomes. Somebody with a challenge mindset could say, here are 100 possible positive outcomes that, that could occur, you know, for me in the next month. Somebody with a threat mindset could say, here are 100 negative outcomes that could occur for me in the next month. And um, games always activate that challenge mindset, that feeling of focusing on what's in my control, what are my resources, who are my allies. And so that just seems to be the default mode for big problems is the threat mindset. So the people who really benefit are the ones who are changing their mindset the most. I wonder if there's any connection with... Um you mentioned the idea of post-traumatic growth, which is kind of the phenomenon of people becoming psychologically stronger after a traumatic event. Um, mm -hmm. And are you kind of offering your super better method? Is it kind of a method for that kind of growth, how to think and act? Yes, exactly. So that was one of the things that I discovered after I designed it. You know, I, I wanted to understand why it was working for so many people. So really, this was, you know, a five-year project. I the, the game was invented six years ago. And then over the first year, I'm like, wow, not only did it really help me, it's helping all these other people. I have to figure out why. And that was one of the first things that I discovered as I started digging into scientific literature was that some people do get stronger and happier and feel like they can lead lives that are kind of truer to who they are and, and their real priorities and dreams. Um, after a traumatic event with scientific literature, I was looking for what makes the difference between somebody who kind of gets weaker or sadder or more hopeless after a trauma versus somebody who comes out on the other side saying they feel stronger. Hmm. And uh, there's a whole list of things you can do, certain, like, for example, adopting a challenge mindset instead of the threat mindset is, is the number one thing you can do. Um, talking to at least two people about the challenge that you're facing, feeling you have these people you can count on for support and, and be really open with, you know, having at least two allies, that's one of the things that's really helpful. And, of course, you know, it's easier to invite someone to play a game with you than to ask for help. I think a lot of people find that mm -hmm. to be true. Um, so, of course, you know, when you play a game, you can say, hey, I want you to play this game with me, come be on my team, come be my ally, help me get this goal that I'm trying to achieve. 
um, easier than saying, hey, I'm really depressed, I need your help, or I'm really lost, I, I need you to help me. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you said that to somebody, would they know what to do? But when you play a game with them, they have a clear idea of what your goal is, they know what you're trying to achieve, they can brainstorm strategies with you. Um, so all of these things that have been shown to promote post-traumatic growth are things that we naturally do when we play games and, of course, that we were doing in this game that I invented, the Super Better game. So that was really kind of fascinating. Uh, and so it turns out I'm not the world's most genius game designer and I <laughs> super magically invented the one game that could create post-traumatic growth. Uh, but, in fact, all game designers are actually working to develop the same kind of psychological strengths and the same kind of beneficial ways of acting. Um, it just, most game designers didn't know that because most game designers aren't digging around in hundreds of you know, peer-reviewed studies on the topic. So that was, uh, that was really fun for me to spot that connection. I think the allies part of the method is, is really interesting. A big part of this seems to be strengthening your social network after a traumatic event and especially one where you had to rely on people you know or, or you would maybe only be successful if you were relying on people you know so yeah and it's really interesting you know I, people say that for the first time in their lives they were able to actually talk honestly and openly about something pretty significant like depression or anxiety and it makes sense because even if you're willing to be vulnerable um, most of us don't know what to ask for when it, when it comes mm-hmm. to these kinds of situations. You know, even if we do share, what is, you know, my sister going to do? What, what is my husband going to do really to help with the fact that I'm having these problems? Um, the idea of the gameful mindset in the Super Method is that it gives you, you know, here's seven things that you can do and that your allies can help you do so that everybody feels like they have a really practical approach. Okay, you need power-ups? I'm going to collect three power-ups for you today. And, of course, you know, in the Super Better Method, power-ups are just things that can provoke any kind of a positive emotion or help you feel stronger or happier. Um, and uh, you're looking for things that you can kind of do anywhere, anytime. So, you know, for me, things like holding my husband's hand for, for 30 seconds or cuddling my dogs or going outside and letting the sun, you know, hit my skin for five minutes, um, watching videos online of baby animals is another <laughs> one of my favorites. Um, the idea that you're building up this arsenal of tools that can make you feel happy or healthy or strong anytime so that when the other things, you know, depression, anxiety, distress, the loneliness, whatever is bothering you, you have these power-ups you can just whip out like you're Super Mario, you know, needing your power-up, and now you're five times as big, you can run ten times as fast. Um, that That's so much easier for a friend or family member to get it. Say, oh, okay, you need power-ups. Here are ten videos of baby animals that I bet you haven't seen. I'm going to send you one a day for the next ten days. Or, um, you know, oh, you wanna, you're trying to get outside for five minutes for sun? I'll take a break with you at work today. We'll do our five-minute sunshine break together. You know, when you give people these concrete things to do, it's so much easier to get the social support that you need. I um I imagine this method might, I mean, it, it might work for all kinds of people, but um, I imagine it might work especially well for children who are dealing with mm-hmm. obstacles. And mm-hmm. wouldn't that be wonderful if you could teach your children this and then they could, if they learned it when they were young, it could be something they use their whole lives. 
Yes. Well, so that's one of the, my favorite stories that's in the book. Right? It's about a woman who, you know, has just been recently diagnosed with, with a chronic illness. And so she's been using super better, you know, with, with her husband. And she has you know, an eight-year-old daughter. And, you know, she's, the daughter's seen her mom kind of using the app. And, oh, I'm, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, you know, activating a power-up or I'm connecting with one of my allies. Um, and the daughter was really interested in it. And one day she asked to borrow her mom's phone to play games and her mom thought she was just going to be playing like, you know, Candy Crush Daughter or something. And uh, she found out that, that her daughter had actually logged into Super Better and was power-ups because she wanted to turn her real-life challenges, you know, as an eight-year-old into these power-ups in the game. And mm-hmm. so she was creating, you know, dance together, power-ups, you can dance with your friends and, um, you know, how to set boundaries with boys so that they don't bully you at school. Mm-hmm. And it was it was such a natural thing for her because, of course, kids today grow up spending so much time playing games. You know, the 97% of kids under 18 in the United States play games for an average of an hour or more a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 90, 93% for girls under 18 and 99% for boys, so... This generation is really growing up with the language of games and the metaphors of games. And so when you translate real life challenges into this gameful structure, it's very easy for them to understand that and adapt it. And we've, we've seen super better use in children's hospitals. Um, the clinical trial, uh, some of the patients were at the Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And uh, it definitely seems to be something that uh, kids really get a lot of benefit from. Do you have another favorite story you could tell? Um, another example of a time super has worked really well for someone? Sure. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, uh, there's so many. I mean, the, the first, the one I go to, of course, is the one that in some ways is, uh, it was the most astonishing to me because it was the person was the biggest challenge that I could imagine. Um, who wrote me to say how they were getting super better, um, which was a, a gentleman named Aaron who had just recently been diagnosed with ALS, Luke mm. Eric's disease. And he wrote me to tell me all about his super better game. And he was um, recruiting his friends and family to be allies. And he, he became Aaron Skywalker because he was kind of inspired by the Star Wars you know, world. And, he had his friends and family take on their own secret identities to be allies in really specific ways. So he had his own Yoda person in his life who was going to become kind of like a spiritual advisor. And her mission was every week to give him a spiritual reading, you know, looking at like different religions of the world, different philosophies, so they could kind of mm-hmm. read about spirituality and mortality and to help him confront the mortality of this disease. Um, and his daughters, he had two young daughters, you know, under the age of 10. Um, and he wanted them to kind of see him still as, as being this, you know, strong person and this, you know, energetic person and really see their dad in this positive light. And so, you know, he turned a lot of his stretching exercises because, you know, the ALS, you know, your muscles atrophy and you have to do all these really kind of painful physical rehabilitation stretches to try to keep that dexterity and he would have his daughters do them with him, but instead of, you know, calling it physical rehab, 
he would talk about it as, as being these superhero poses, and he would fly like Superman, or this is my lightsaber fighting training motions, um, so that his kids can be involved with that. And, you know, he, when he wrote me about this, you know, he, it was, he, he could even see the, the sort of strangeness of it, you know, when you're, when you're told that you only have a few years to live at most and that those years are going to be increasingly hard as you lose the ability to move and speak, um, why would you spend more time playing games, right? Because you know, everyone says games are such a waste of time. But for him to see the benefit of it and, and to want to share it with other patients who have been diagnosed with ALS um, and, and all of the meaning that he was able to derive out of that, um, to me that that was a big turning point in how I was thinking about the project because, you know, as I said before, it's like you really, even though you see it working for people, you keep thinking in the back of your mind, you know, how can this really help people? You know, if it's really serious, a game isn't going to help. Um, and hearing from Aaron and, and, and how the game helped him um, through that diagnosis and, you know, to achieve epic wins like moving to a one-floor house so that, you know, when he was moved into a wheelchair, he'd be better, better able to get around. Um, that, that, was, that, was a, that was huge to see that. And, of course, lots of people who use the method for little things, you know, I'm trying to quit smoking before I get married. I'm, I'm trying to, um, you know, like I said, train for marathons or my first 5K. Um, but, but really these people who have found meaning in play in the most difficult times in their lives, it's just those are stories that really stick with me. That reminds me, I wanted, I want to ask you before, um, before we run out of time, how this kind of compares or contrasts to the idea of fighting an illness or I guess in, in medicine, there's a little bit of controversy about whether it's healthy for people to imagine that they're fighting their cancer or whatever they have. And I, I wonder if this method is just changing the thing you're fighting for or against. Um, mm. it, maybe well, not. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, just saying that you're fighting is not, the, you know, that stance taking that stance is not necessarily going to help. It's a question of do you feel like you have the resources you need to fight effectively? Do you feel like you have the allies mm -hmm. who can help you fight effectively? Um, and so just having that, that sort of that, that stance is not necessarily going to help. And there's a great example in the book about a game that was designed for, for cancer patients, for, for kids with cancer, um, and it is a fighting game. I mean, it's like a, like a third-person shooter game, and you play as a nanobot, a little robot that's swimming around in your body with chemotherapy weapons and antibiotics trying to kill cancer. So it's literally a combat-based shooting game. Um, and playing that game has been shown to increase the patient's compliance and, and adherence to really long and difficult chemotherapy regimens. You know, people chemia you have to do chemotherapy for years, and you're doing it at home. It's not like you go to the hospital and get, you know, uh, connected to a drip and you sit for a few hours. This is every day you take pills for years mm -hmm. and um, to do oral chemotherapy, and they know that the more doses you miss because of the side effects, you don't want to take it today, or you get busy, you forget, or maybe you're just rebelling because you're sick of being sick. The more doses you miss, the more likely the cancer. So they really try to get kids not to miss doses, but um, something like a third of 
young patients will miss up to a quarter of their doses over three years. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, this game, playing it for as little as two hours, increased the amount of uh, pills that the kids were taking effectively on time over a three-month period. When they actually measured the level of the chemotherapy agents in their bloodstream, they found 41% more chemotherapy, you know, cancer-fighting medicine in the blood straws from kids who played the video game. Now, is it because they were fighting cancer in the video game? You know, no, it wasn't that metaphor of fighting. Um, they actually put people into fMRI machines to study the blood flow of what was going on in their brains when they played the game, and they saw that there was a particular blood flow pattern of activation in the brain, one related to the reward pathways. So we already talked about that, you know, the part of the brain that makes you feel extra motivated, you're willing to do whatever it takes to achieve your goal. They had a ton of stimulation in that part of the brain, and they also had a ton of stimulation in the hippocampus, which is the learning center of the brain. Um, So it helps you commit ideas or feelings to memory. So it was really more about building that experience of motivation and self-efficacy, you know, that feeling that there's something I can do that's in my control Mm -hmm. and ability to achieve my goal. That was what triggered the improvement in these patients' treatment and outcomes. It wasn't just the metaphor of fighting that we saw in the video game. It was it was that that kind of neurochemical hack of helping them feel that feeling of optimi- uh, optimism and motivation and determination and then committing it to memory. And, and by the way, the reason why we already talked about, um, I don't know if we talked about the dopamine hit that you get from video games is because you're constantly taking actions and your brain is waiting to see if it paid off. Mm-hmm. So it's like every action you take in a video game, whether you're firing a weapon or swapping puzzle pieces, your brain is like, ooh, I think that's going to work. Let me see. And that's, it releases dopamine because it's excited because it thinks you might have hit your target or completed the move successfully. So that's where all the dopamine is coming from. And the hippocampus is getting triggered because games are always a learning experience, right? You, you play a game for the first time. You have to learn how the controls work. You have to figure out what your goal is. You're testing different strategies. You're improving your skills and abilities in the game. So, you know, the first time you play Tetris, you're bad. Ten years later, you're awesome. Um, and, and so the hippocampus is firing up to help you learn the game. And so the, just the side benefit of the hippocampus firing up for you to learn the game is that you also remember all these other feelings. Is there any last thing you, you want to say before we end? I want to say, you know, the, the real breakthrough idea... I think that that this, all this research I've been doing for the past five years boils down to is that all kinds of games are a really effective way to practice certain ways of thinking and acting, ways of focusing our attention so that we can control our thoughts and feelings better, ways of reaching out to other people, of teaming up and cooperating so that we can help each other more, mm-hmm. ways of increasing our motivation and willpower so that we have that determination and optimism when we're tackling tough challenges. And so it's never a waste of time to play a game because every game that you play is building these resources. And what I just want to help people do with the book and with the Super Better Method is to figure out how to translate those strengths into everyday life because a lot of people just leave them in the game. Hmm, you know, they yeah. develop these incredible psychological strengths, but they never consciously apply them to their real life challenges. 
Um, and so it's like they have this amazing skill set, this amazing vast wealth of psychological resources that are, that are just sitting idly um, by and not, not being used to help in, in daily life. And so that's really the big idea here, you know, is that games have this really powerful benefit, but the biggest benefit comes when you really purposefully and strategically try to bring those strengths to everyday life. And Super Better is just a way to help you make that leap, you know, from just playing games to being gameful in everyday life. Once again, that was Jane McGonigal, and her new book is called Super Better. For Charles Lee Franklin and the rest of the Grox crew, I'm Samantha Thomas. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.